Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the New Sound World English Podcast. My name is Mark and joining me today as always are Maurice and Daniel. You guys want to say hi? Hello everyone, this is Maurice. Hello, this is Daniel. I hope you all had a happy holidays. Alright, so today we are going to veer ever so slightly off our usual format and have a little fun. Instead of breaking down the games like we usually do, we're going to do a little bit of a year in review for 2020 before attempting to project what's in store for 2021. Uh, we have come up with four categories that each of us will have a unique take or choice for. And since several of these things will ultimately be, they could have popped up in multiple of the categories, we, for the sake of not repeating ourselves and, you know, being boring, we decided to limit them to one category. They'll kind of get disgusted in a broad spectrum, so to speak. But um, there's also a few obvious choices that we will discuss briefly before moving on to our, you know, actual choices. We mainly decided to avoid them because it would be Again, obvious, a little repetitive, and probably somewhat boring if we just focused on them. So let's move on. And um, our first category is our favorite moment from 2020. Of course, this is one of the categories that has a very obvious answer in winning the Champions League or, you know, the treble in general. And I think we all recognize what it is. Um, but, you know, Maurice, do you want to have a little go at that is a category sure i mean the i think the journey starts with the game against chelsea on the stanford bridge where bayern really played for the first time as a team that could maybe end up winning the champions league um then there was the champions league tournament itself with the incredible game against barcelona the a2 win i think that is something we'll tell our grandchildren about once upon a time um just a, a stunning performance that has i mean that brings back memories to like Germany beating Brazil 7-1 to or Bayern uh, completely destroying Barcelona in the first triple season in 2013. Um, and then obviously it all came together uh, in that perfect ending in Lisbon with the 1-0 victory over uh, Paris Saint-Germain with Coman coming through scoring the decisive goal. Um, and I mean, all the relief everyone on the pitch felt. I think all of us kind of felt the same, just being so incredibly happy for for the team to to make this journey. Um, and one one moment that I don't want to forget r real quick is the Pokal final against uh, Bayer Leverkusen, where we just had a dominating performance, uh, crushing that opponent, um, winning uh, and getting that second title of the season. So, yeah, as you said, it, it is the obvious choice. Each of us would have easily picked it or one of the single steps along the way to that title. But, yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing performance by the team. By far my favorite moment of 2020. Yeah. Or does anyone else agree, uh, disagree with me here? <laughs> nah, that's when the Champions League sucked. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> No, you, you basically said everything that I think could be said about it. It's, I think, any fan's favorite moment. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't think there's really a whole lot else that needs to be said there. Um, so why don't we move on to our less obvious choices. And Daniel, do you want to start us off? Yep. And my segment is something that I've tentatively called The Revenants, as I just want to gush all, all, all the so-called Finnish players that just a year ago, People have completely written off and that by now turn over a new leaf. 
There are a couple players. Uh, the first I'd start with is probably the most special case of, of all of them. That's Manuel Neuer. Now, I think a common thing that happens as everybody look back at this long and dreary last season with COVID and all, is everybody just found something that he or she was surprised happened in that season and not like happened a few years ago. And with me, it was the whole discussion that happened at the start of uh, the 2019-2020 season, which was the whole Ter Stegen versus Malanoia discussion that I had completely forgotten about because I, in my mind it was already like two or three years ago that we had this discussion. And it's actually kind of crazy that we started the season where the media created this narrative, the competition between them for the number one spot in the German national team. And we ended the season where basically every fan and every expert on the planet agreed upon that Manonoia was the, the best keeper, not only in Germany, but also the world. And it's just crazy to think about that. And the special case with Neuer is he's probably the player where it's most dubious as, as to what the contributions of Hansi Flick were to his new height. But still, matter of fact, is his form from, you could say, August until now are like a solid five, season, uh, five, five months, as even there already had been written articles and arguments made about him possibly already being the best keeper there ever was. He still just now might have played the best five months of his career. He's stopping shots in one-on-one moments. His passing is nigh flawless, which is something that has not been the case in that more or less infamous season under Niko Kovac. Every single game, he's having this these sweeper-keeper moments that have also kind of died down as Carlo Schlotti and Jupankis and so on were the coach. So yeah, Mananoia is just crazy just how stronger he came back. The other players I wanted to talk about are now more the Hansi Flick players that she, quote-unquote, you could argue, resurrected. That's Jerome Boateng and Thomas Müller. Very many p people have kind of agreed upon that their time was just over. And I think people kind of lost track of the fact that they are still fairly young, in the sense that they were only about to become 30 or just had turned 30. And yeah, with Jerome Boateng, it really is a comeback for the ages. As even his most diehard supporters, which I would call myself to be part of that group had more or less come to terms w with the fact that she probably his time in the limelight at Bayern had just had to be over especially signals in that infamous game where you could argue that his sending off was what tanked uh, Niko Kovac the most but he came back and I remember that when we signed uh, Alvaro Adrozola who People made the argument, or I at least made the argument, that there was a good signing so that now Hansi Flick would not be forced to play Jerome Boateng anymore. But Boateng started the new year, or no, the old year, 2020. Started one game, started the second game, started the third game. And I think people realized that, hey, he started to make less and less mistakes. And he basically completely zeroed out these the mistakes he had made and played a solid, solid, solid half year up until the Champions League final which is just such a nice storyline of the season. A player that was so written off, just played such a super solid half-season, zeroing out of the mistakes. I think the whole storyline of Boateng is just a feel-good feel good, uh, feel good storyline for fans of Bayern Munich, as it was really kind of depressing to see his accomplishments diminished over time as people had written him off. With Thomas Müller, it's... Kind of a, a fairly similar storyline, just probably that people hadn't, hadn't written him off that much. But he too didn't really play that good a half season. And then Niko Kovac, 
We had the famous quotes about him, that he would only play if there's an emergency coming on and so on. And yeah, it's just wonderful that he came back, become an undisputed starter and become one of the undisputed best central attacking midfielders. And I think every Bayern fan just understood just how important a well-playing Thomas Müller actually is for Bayern Munich. It's just a shame that maybe not all pundits and experts and fans see it that way, but that might be something that we'll talk about later. Uh, I mean, one thing I think uh, can't be underrated with the Neuer thing in particular is that it feels like he finally got back to where he was healthy. And I think that probably more than anything, I mean, I do think that the the pressing that Flick brought in and the way our defense played once he came in and took over for Niko Kovac certainly plays a role, but his form just in terms of reaction saves and his being a sweeper keeper and all of that stuff, I think a lot of that just goes down to how he basically finally was healthy again for the first time in probably three years. And that's, you know, but um, apart from that, I think, you know, you pretty much hit everything else, you know, the, the other two, I, I think a lot of it has to do with Hansi Flick, number one, believing in them, and number two, using them the way that they it, – it, putting them in a position and using them the way that they need to be used either at this time in their career or, you know, just in general. So, yeah. Maurice? Yeah, I, I just – I mean, Daniel, you basically covered all of it, but for me, I just want to reemphasize the – just the different person that Jerome Boateng was uh, – between the last season uh, with uh, Niko Kovac under the helm and then this season, like the 2019-2020 season with Hansi Flick. I mean, just if you saw him on the pitch interacting with other players, it was it was just like he was swapped out. He was just a new guy. And it was, it was so good to see him that way because of all the stuff he had done for the club previously, um, the player he is. Um, the person he is, I think. So I was, I was just really happy to see him get back into form and be that important piece in the defense that he that he proved to be. Agree. So shall we move on, or does anyone have anything further on that one? No. All right. So Maurice, why don't you uh, give us yours? Yeah. Uh, if you listened to my talk before about the travel, um, you might have noticed that I skipped one significant part, and that is the Bundesliga trophy. Uh, and that is because I am going to like wiggle my way with the rules, and I'm still going to pick a, a, an important moment from the triple season, and that is uh, Bayern defeating uh, Dortmund 1-zip in that uh, very important game in, um, was it like April, May? like right after the the first games when we got back out of the COVID break. Um, and it was a really high-class game, I feel like, uh, with both teams being super aggressive, pressing all the way on the pitch, and especially Bayern coming out right uh, from the gate, um, just being forceful and really willing to win that match and give everything on the pitch and that was perfectly embodied by by Joshua Kimmich and for me that is like the main topic I actually want to talk about is Joshua Kimmich and the way that he has um, emerged that he has positioned himself as the leader of the team as the alpha guy on the pitch um, he is 
I mean, so dedicated to give his all on the pitch. And in that game against Dortmund, he scored the, the winning goal, um, but he did so much more. He ran 13.7 kilometers, which is the most the Bayern player has ever run uh, since 2013, I think. And now there are different uh, thoughts about those stats on just how much you run in the game. But it, I, I think, at least in that game, it tells the story of one player really giving it his all and just like the ultimate willpower that that defines Joshua Kimmich as a player. He had the most um, most uh, actions with the ball at 104 between both teams. Um, I, he was in in every in every tackling um, in every situation when it was important. He was just there, and it was just a. I mean, it was basically the year 2020 in a nutshell. Joshua Kimmich being the most important player on the pitch for Bayern. Um, being kind of like the single single point, the single threat where all of it comes together. I think we saw it late this year, late last year when he actually got injured, how much worse Bayern got suddenly uh, just because he keeps offense and defense together. He's the creator. He's the initiator. Um, yeah, no, uh, it, it is basically a little bit of a testament to the incredible 2020 that, that Joshua Kimmich had. And uh, just now there was a news article um on the German f football magazine kicker, which was like, actually Bayern could use two Joshua Kimmichs, <laughs> um, like one on one as a right wing back and then the other one playing in central midfield. Um, and I mean, it kind of looks that way. I mean, probably they could use 11 Kimmichs, uh, to be honest, but <laughs> um, uh, we, we got to we got to uh, go ahead and do with just the one instance of Joshua Kimmich. Um, so yeah, that was my little love letter to Josh Kimmich, I guess. <laughs> Daniel, anything? No, I agree with everything. And on the appreciation with Kimmich, I think I'll, it's again, something that I'll, that, that I want to talk about in, in a second. Sure. I think we could narrow that down to nine Kimmichs and, one Lewandowski and one Neuer, but apart from that, I'm I'm pretty happy with having 11 Kimmicks out there if we can manage that. But I guess I'll just move on to my most favorite moment from the season, which is kind of not a moment, so to speak, because it's took place over about seven months. But the victory over Chelsea and specifically Robert Lewandowski's performance in that two series, that series of two games, was. It really stuck out to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, Chelsea, the Chelsea match the first time around was, you know, traveling to Stanford Bridge. There was, I think we were still kind of, you know, it was it was a little early in, um, since Flick had taken over. We hadn't seen a lot of him, you know, how they would perform in the Champions League. There weren't a ton of questions, but it still was, you know, people were, will how, how will this work? How, you know... Are we going to look the same, you know, as we had in the the Bundesliga, or would you know maybe this be a tripping point potentially? And you know, I think the first forty five minutes were not necessarily all that great either. But Lewandowski was just incredible for the vast majority of both ties. Really, um, the first game, I believe, he had two assists and a goal in a three nothing victory if i'm not mistaken and then the second match which had another interesting aspect to it in that you know we had already won the league we had won the pokal and then we had that little mini break and people were concerned about you know 
would they kind of lose their momentum? Would there be trip up after, you know, having that long season with, you know, that tight schedule, you know, going and having a little bit of a rest and whereas everybody else was kind of just going directly from their league into the Champions League. And again, you know, I feel like Robert Lewandowski just kind of put all of that to bed very quickly with, you know, another two goals and two assists in that match. It's just incredible to see Bayern win a tie seven to one on aggregate and one player is directly involved in all seven of the goals. I mean, it happens, but those are the types of things that really separated this past season to me for Robert Lewandowski compared to previous seasons where, you know, he really just took his game to another level. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, his 45 goals in all competitions in 2020, which was the most play of any player in Europe's top five leagues. You know, he had 15 assists on top of that. So his, you know, combined goal and assist was still top in both in all five leagues. But, you know, the the accolades go on and on for him. But to me, that was maybe the shining moment of the entire season for him was just how much he dominated that match. And, you know, those, even the assists in those matches, they were legitimate assists. They were things where he actually set up, you know, Nabri and the other two players. I forget who they were off the top of my head, but, you know, he did a lot of the work in getting those, you know, goals in for Bayern. And I, I find it hard. I find it hard to disagree. Robert Lewandowski just playing, I mean, an unbelievable season. You've you've been talking about it. The the games in the Champions League playoffs. He was involved in eleven of those goals. All of the goals against Chelsea. Um, I mean, what is there not to love about the about him? As you said, he like in the last few years developed his game further. Kind of like completed his game to be a threat, also as an assist giver is found in various spaces around the pitch. Really gives his all out there um yeah m amazing player and we'll hear about him later a little bit maybe as well so i'm not going to get into too much detail <laughs> right now yeah i think it's possibly the best storyline that this season where robert Lewandowski ended with the most personal glory he would ever get not only personal glory but also champions league glory of course but all the personal awards is exactly this season where he played the most selfless season mm -hmm. Constantly giving uh, assists. There's, of course, the pretty famous story uh, early on in the season where he gave the penalty to Filippo Coutinho, which is something that, that the Robert Lewandowski of like two or three years ago would never have, uh, have done. And then, of course, this Champions League tie against Chelsea perfectly, as you have described it, exemplifies it with the Gnabry assist. Yeah. All right. Well, we will, I guess, end that category there and move on to our second one, which was our most disappointing moment of 2020. Again, all three of us kind of felt like there might be a somewhat obvious answer in the departure of Tiago. Um, Daniel, Maurice, either one of you want to kind of give a brief, you know, lament or, you know, farewell to the little Spaniard? Oh, Tiago, why? Why did you have to leave us? Oh, it's... No, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame and it's kind of interesting because I don't remember any player who just kind of left Byron on such good terms. And everybody agreed that it's perfectly fine that, that he would leave. The fans, the, the executives like Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and so on, 
everybody just, just read it. It's fine. Nobody's angry with Thiago, and I'm pretty confident that in a couple of years, when his career is finished, that he will be like most known as a Bayern legend, and that's just wonderful. Stuff. I completely yeah, I, agree. I, Basically, I, most of the stuff that I've said about Joshua Kimmich just just a few instances ago basically goes for vast stretches of Thiago's time at Bayern, especially under Niko Kovac. He was that glue that held the offense and the defense together, was the main centerpiece. Um, it was so, so important. And I mean, I sometimes still dream of his little like twists and turns, um, his perfect feel for spaces, for like open areas on the pitch. Uh, I mean, I've, I've literally never seen that in another player um, at Bayern. Uh, just his feel for the game was absurd. And it was even, a, or it was just as absurd that Bayern let him go. Um, and I mean, they might be even paying the price of it right now, but uh, that, is, that is a discussion for, for a different podcast, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, I, I think... Daniel brings up an interesting point in that there doesn't seem to be any hard feelings one way or the other regarding his departure. I think a lot of fans were disappointed. I think, you know, we all would have loved to have seen him stay, but, you know, it, it is very rare this day and age that someone departs and there's really no ill will seemingly from any side. So in any case, uh, how about we move on to Daniel? Do you want to kick off the, uh, you're, or no, I'm sorry, <laughs> Maurice. <laughs> you will kick off the uh, the most disappointing moments this time. Yeah, I will, um, and I'm gonna come right back to the point of central midfielders. And then my my so my most disappointing theme. It's not even a moment, but my most disappointing theme of 2020 is Hansi Flick and central midfielders. It is just something that. Makes me really frustrated. Um, I mean, it started out with uh, Michael Cousange, who was, um, I don't know, kind of finding his groove a little bit. He had a few good games. Um, and then suddenly Hansi Flick decided he was not good enough for Bayern. Um, and we sent him away to uh, to Marseille later in the in the transfer period um, in, in August or September. Um, and then we were told to get excited about Adrian Fine, who had played a really good first half of the season uh, back in 2019 for Hamburg, then had struggled a little bit when he came back in, uh, for like this for the, the second leg of the season. Uh, but we were still told to be really excited about him, uh, about all the qualities that he could bring to the Bayern team. And then he also was sent out on a loan and he went to, to Eindhoven in the summer uh, because apparently Hansi Flick did not really see a place for him in central midfield. And then the next player that everybody raved about was uh, Angelo Stiller, at least in the in the Mearson Road uh, chat, where um, we, have, we have Martin who basically, yeah, he, he watches almost exclusively uh, Bayern's youth teams. Um, and so so he was really, I mean, drooling all over the place about Angelo Stiller and the, the way he played, the way he helped Bayern's second team win the championship. Um, and he never really made it uh, into the first team. He, I think, only really at the end of 2020 actually began training with the first team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so another central midfielder that did not, ha uh, 
yeah, that just didn't work out for Hansi Flick, apparently. And then lastly, obviously, um, Mark Rocker, who came in as a last-second transfer in October. Um, I think we all agreed back in the podcast when we reviewed the transfer period that that was kind of like the one play where we saw the most opportunities for. Um, and Hansi Flick still disagreed. He only threw him in in like... I don't know, three, four matches in total. We all thought he played pretty good, but apparently Hansi Flick does not agree. He really, really did, didn't trust him. Um, he had constantly Javi Martinez ahead of him. So yeah, my, my point is basically my disappointing moment is Hansi Flick and young central midfielders just doesn't seem to work out. It seems to be that he has too high standards for those players that they just cannot fulfill. He wants them to do tasks that they just can't. Maybe the game is just too too fast in central midfield. Whatever it is, it, it is for me a big uh, yeah, a big question mark um, on the relationship of young central midfielders and Hansi Flick, and it has me constantly a little bit disappointed. And then the next player uh, where where it's going to be interesting is is Thiago Dantas, who's currently playing for Bayern's second team, but is now eligible to play in the first team. He has been dubbed to be uh, one of Flick favorites, so maybe he can he can like become the first one to break the streak. But honestly, seeing him play for Bayern's second team, I'm not 100% convinced. He's just way too skinny, way too small. Um, and then he just does not stick out as uh, an Angelo Stiller does for the second team. So um, it'll be interesting to, co- to to see that topic, that thread continue throughout 2021. Yeah, I, uh, I, I find this really interesting because... Um it kind of reminds me when I was playing sports, you know, growing up, it reminded me of certain coaches I had where they were particularly hard on like one specific position. And it tended to be, you know, a position they either played or, you know, they considered to be the most important in their thing, in their system or whatever. And they just didn't, they would find like one or two people that they trusted. And then apart from that, they basically, didn't trust anyone. And it kind of seems like that might be a little bit of what's going on here with Hansi Flick and, you know, these young guys is it's just too hard for him to, you know, accept that maybe he has to play some players that have a somewhat obvious flaw or, you know, that maybe they aren't going to be a hundred percent up to speed on what he, every little detail that he wants them to be, you know, before he needs to start using them. But it does seem like that's something that needs to be rectified or it, maybe it's just a simple fact that Byron's going to have to, you know, find players that he will trust and, you know, that he is already comfortable with just immediately sticking in because as you said, I, it's kind of rearing its ugly head over the last, you know, two months or so. Yeah. Hansi Flick kind of, it appears that there is, that there's only hot and cold with him. Either he really appreciates and uh, loves a player like, like Thiago, Kimmich, and Leon Goretzka in midfield, and it works wonderfully. They play world-class seasons under him, or it just very much doesn't work with the players that you uh, said, Cuisance, and so on. So it's, it, it, it is a question mark, and, and I do think that it maybe just is that Hansi Flick has too high a standard that he asked for and it's fine that he asked that for like the first team and absolute players that are first on the team sheet like Thiago and Kimmich 
that are like established players, but it might be a bit too much to ask for when it comes to those talented players that still have room to grow. So my my most disappointing moment for 2020 is just in it's a little bit of a broad topic and for it's for several different reasons, but Alaba and his entire situation, especially since um, the start of the 2020-2021 season, um, I think there's an argument to be made that he kind of fits into um, Daniel's first point and favorite moments in, in a way because David Alaba had had his struggles over recent years, but really came on after, you know, the, the injury crisis that we had in central defense last year and Hansi Flick taking over, he really had a resurgence. I mean, as good as Alaba has been over the course of his career, um, that probably is close to the highest of highs he's ever hit in any position. And to then see what has become of him in a lot of respects, just this entire season coupled with the contract talks, the back and forth with his agent in the club, the just random, like seemingly every week, you know, something is being said or done. And it's really just turned very ugly. And it's gotten to a point where you, you almost start to worry about like what his status in the club will ultimately end up being, which is something coming out of the Champions League, I don't think anyone would have ever thought would be the case. Uh, he's also now in this group of multi-treble winners where, you know, there's just a few very limited players in that group. He's won, I believe, nine Bundesligas now, which is, I believe, a record that he's tied with Frank Ribery. Multiple Pokals. It just seemed like he had solidified his place as this all-time Bayern great. And now the entire, well, not the entire Bayern fandom, but a large portion of the Bayern fandom is very upset with David Alaba and really kind of taking up the pitchforks and, you know, regarding, you know, his apparent salary demands and, on top of that, his general play in 2020, so, you know, at the end of the you know year for this new season has just really dropped noticeably. And it's just hugely disappointing to me because I've always been a very big fan of Alaba, even when, you know, some others had been questioning his, whether he even should be starting on the left wing and probably fairly, but I, I've, I, I just loved his skill and his ability in that position. I think he, it's great that he came through the club for the most part and seeing this, you know, fall from grace has really been a low point for me just for the entire year, really. Very disappointing with Alaba because I also very much at this point wonder if his status as a, as a club legend will be ultimately lost these last few months alongside the constant discussions surrounding his Failed contract talks have really shown a limelight on Alaba that he's not that consistent a player that I think he himself thinks is. And I think many fans kind of look past that because they do remember the great David Alaba when they won the first Champions League under Pep Guardiola and so on. And the David Alaba that they played the last season and kind of 
washed over the fact that there were all these years where he did already struggle. And many people just were willing to forget that. But now that we do have these constant contract discussions, and I know we will probably never hear both sides on this fully, but the narrative is there, and it's pretty consistent on that point. And Twitter is just a false representation of the Bayern fandom. But I do remember just how the uh, the fandom would have reacted if there were still fans in the stadium with the banners they were holding up. It's... Uh, And it's ultimately a big disappointment how the whole Araba uh, situation played out and is playing out and will probably come to a disappointing close. Yeah. Maurice, any thoughts? No, you guys basically covered it. For me, it's just interesting to see how, how that entire situation ultimately pans out and whether any club in Europe will be actually willing to pay the amount of money that Alaba and his his um, whole agent team are requesting um, I don't really see it yet. I saw somebody on Twitter saying saying yesterday that we might see David Alaba end up just as Max Meyer, like the Schalke player who saw himself as like a as like a great guy and then actually ended up playing for some, I mean, mid-tier English side and then not even making the starting team there. I don't think it'll be that bad for David Alaba, but um, <laughs> let's let's see how that ultimately pans out. It's just really sad, as you both said to see such a good, great player end this way, break up with Bayern that way. It is, yeah, sadly, sadly it's not unprecedented, but it's, it's, it's still, it still makes you a little bit sad and uncomfortable. I have one real quick question for the two of you. It just occurred to me while we were talking, but I think this would have been unfathomable to, be, to even consider probably, you know, back in August. But is it possible now that Lewandowski goes down as a bigger Bayern legend than Alaba? Ooh, that is a big question. Um, I I think just the number of goals that Lewandowski is gonna score, and just by the based on the fact that soccer is all about goals, and in the public perception, scoring a goal is much more important than preventing a goal, and even then, like playing the assist pass, I think that is why Lewandowski might actually edge out Alaba on like the all-time great lists. Um, because honestly, we don't know where Lewandowski is going to go, like what records he might break one day. Um, and de- and depending on that, yeah, maybe, maybe that'll end up this way. I don't know. Daniel, what do you think? I don't know, because I think it very much depends who you ask. If you ask those guys who are regularly going to a stadium, who have a season ticket, holding out those banners, and especially when they're really coming from the area in Bayern, in Bavaria, I'm pretty sure that those guys they really hate the uh, not hate rate the region that, that you're coming from they're really rating that highly if you do come from the club and that's why they love Bastian Schweinsteiger so much that that's why they love Alaba so much because Alaba well he's Austrian but number one Austria is very much uh, near Munich anyway number two uh, it, it did come from from the club and I do think that they do rate that it's, it's very important for them why I think it would be difficult for them to place a player like that below somebody that, that that Bayern signed from a different club, from different German club that already played a very strong role in that German club. On the other hand, all the fans that are not from Bavaria, and especially the young fans who really do more or less only, only look at the attacking players, I don't think that they have this 
whole viewpoint on Lewandowski and maybe the long doubts if he wants to stay at Bayern, if he doesn't want to stay at Bayern, if he maybe wants to go to Real Madrid and so on. So it's it will very much a divisive topic, I think, if you really asked the Bayern fandom. You'll get a very diverse array of opinions there. I suppose that is a good that is an interesting point Daniel um but I'm gonna raise a counterpoint to that and actually won't the way that like this divorce with David Alaba like how focused he is on the money won't that actually also hurt his image in uh I don't know in the in the eye of those of those Bayern fans that you just talked about because I mean while it was also a lot about the money for Robert Lewandowski he eventually chose to stay obviously because they offered him uh excuse my language, uh, a shit ton of money. But um, yeah, uh, Alaba, if he's going to leave because of the money, won't, this, won't that frame him as some kind of a, I don't know, someone who's going and chasing off after the highest bidder? It will, it will. And that's why if, if it were Alaba versus like a, a different player, like Kimmich in a couple of years, that I would very much choose the other player like Jozo Kimmich. But with Lewandowski, I, I just don't know. Because... I do distinctly remember all those, all these things that I've read about Lewandowski, where, where people just said, "Yeah, well then, okay, then then just go to Real Madrid if, if you don't want to stay here." So we, we are Bayern Munich, Mia San Mia, we are the best club in the planet, and so on. So I distinctly remember all those people who very much were annoyed at Lewandowski's constant flirting with Real Madrid. So I see that point, and this is just kind of where I was. The main reason I asked it is because I think that there's a very decent likeliness that Lewandowski ends his career at Bayern at this point. I mean, it's not for certain, but I mean, maybe he, you know, eventually leaves to go play in China or the U S or something random like that. But, you know, I think his primary career will probably end at Bayern at this point. I think he's going to, you know, end up second in practically every goal record, you know, category that, that, you have for Bayern players hit the best years of his career were at the club. He's probably going to end up playing far longer at Bayern than he ever did, you know, Dortmund. And I agree. The thing is, is if Alaba never leaves Bayern or at least if Alaba does not force his way out of Bayern, I don't think there's even a question that Alaba gets that nod because of all the things that he's achieved in his career, the fact that he came through Byron's youth system, all of those things. I don't think there's any question that Alaba is, you know, the above Lewandowski, but the fact that he is going to probably end his career somewhere else at this point and that he's basically choosing to make that happen. I just, I, I think it at least opens it up as a question and, you know, that in itself is fairly remarkable in a lot of respects because before, like I said before, I, I don't even think there was a question mark on that. So, yeah. In any case, uh, let's move on. Daniel, yep. you're up. My quote unquote most disappointing moment is something that I don't really have that many hard feelings on because I kind of long have written this whole thing off. And that's the individual awards that come at the end of the year. Of every year, and especially this year, the FIFA awards, or the so-called the best awards, as FIFA's marketing team has branded these new awards. And your first thought might be that, why would I choose this as a disappointing thing, considering Lewandowski did win in the overall player as the best men's player, and Manuel Neuer was chosen as the best goalkeeper, and even the team, the overall 
team of the year kind of looked pretty all right with Joshua Kimmich being in there, with Thiago being in there, with Alfonso Davies being in there. But I'm still annoyed by this whole thing because it just it just seems to be such a such an award based on marketing and based on regionality and it's just appears to be so biased towards English players and towards the other big two of the attacking players, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. It just annoys the piss out of me. Because you can't tell me that Bayern, after winning everything there, there was to win, after not even losing a single match for most of the season and, and only losing against Hoffenheim in 2020 as a whole, after winning every single Champions League game there there was, and after Liverpool only winning a very respectable and for them legendary title in, in the league, but them not winning any of the English Cups, that it's a justified or fair assumption that Robert Lewandowski is the only player that is in the top 11 of the best men players ranking, but Liverpool has four players there, including Thiago. And, well, Bayern has two if you include Thiago as well. And even Thiago is a special case because I think we all think that had Thiago not switched clubs to to Liverpool, he probably wouldn't be there either. And I was thinking that especially when you, Maurice, was talking about Joseph Kimmich and how important he is and his evolution at Bayern, and you just can't tell me that Joseph Kimmich played a worse season than a Mohamed Salah, then, then I would even argue an Mbappé and Neymar. And when I just compare that to the... UEFA Player of the Year awards that were handed out in like September or so. It's just so much better because there we have five players of, uh, with Bayern and it's just perfectly fine. Thomas Müller is ranked six, who isn't anywhere near the top ten players uh, with the FIFA awards. He's uh, Thomas Müller is above Mbappé, above Ronaldo, above even Thiago and Kimmich. Ronaldo is just nearly in the top ten with, with the UEFA awards, whereas in, in the FIFA awards he's pretty close to Lewandowski on the second spot which is just grotesque absurd like I know it's a hot take but for as great as he was overall in the past decade he was not the second best player of 2020 and it's just it's just an, an, an annoying thing and then I didn't even talk about the, the whole coaching situation where it's just uh, it's just ridiculous and everybody agreed that it's ridiculous even Jürgen Klopp agreed that it's ridiculous that Jürgen Klopp won the award Ahead of Flick, even though Flick won everything and she just won the title. And it's, uh, I had written this whole award show off when Bayern wasn't really competing in these uh, in these things, but now that they are competing, were competing, it's just doubly irritating when you just see these awards go out onto marketing, basically. Like even the Ferenc Puskas award for the best goal, it went for the one that was playing in the Premier League for the one Premier League goal for Hyun Min Song, and that was a Very good goal, but but when you look at all the other goals that were competing there, and there were no Bayern goal competing, so we don't have that many hard feelings there. It wasn't the best goal there, and it's just just annoying. Yeah, I I I think you hit most of the points. the The only thing that also I, I with the FIFA best eleven, um, you know, the the team yep, that they yep, yep. put up is. How is Neuer the best goalkeeper, but not in the squad? That make, makes no sense whatsoever. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
like, let's find a way to shoehorn in yet another English player just to, you know, satisfy yeah. some fans. Because there's no way that you can award someone the best yeah. pl- goalkeeper or best player and then not put them in your best yeah. 11. Especially a goalkeeper where, you know, it's like you can't even argue about, like, you know, how they would fit with the other players or something like that. I mean, mm. you know, a goalkeeper's a goalkeeper. <laughs> Anyways. And even the other players there, like Dani Alves was, like, ranked third of, of four for best right backs. And he's like, and he's like best, and he's like forty years old playing in Brazil, as as a def- as a defensive midfielder. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <sighs> oh, it makes no sense. <laughs> Maurice, you have anything you want to add to that? No, it 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 just proves once more that well, all these awards and everything, like, just do not pay too much attention to it. Like, don't get caught up too much in it. Uh, yep. It's. It is. It is weird. It has a lot of weaknesses, as you both said, um, especially Daniel laid out. They are a kind of focus on the Premier League or the Premier Division. They take into account sometimes the the year. Sometimes they take into account the season. It's just. It's just weird. Um, I'm just happy Lewandowski won one award. I don't even know what it's exactly called, but it seems to be the one that he <laughs> wanted to get. <laughs> um so yeah it's 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 really confusing maddening so that's why my advice for everyone is don't get too caught up in it (laughs) agreed agreed all right so let's move on to our third category which will be more focused on this coming year we're gonna do what is the thing we are most looking forward to for 2021 maurice why don't you kick us off Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'm looking forward to the most is after this immense drought of games played without spectators, I'm really looking forward to the first game that Bayern plays again at the Allianz Arena with, I mean, at least the Südkurve there. Like, I don't know how many people they will let in. There's probably going to be like a certain like ramp up that's going to happen, but I mean, just to have spectators back at the games, just to go back to the games myself, it would it would be amazing. It is honestly the thing that I'm looking forward to the most this year. I mean, in general, that goes with a larger scheme, of course, of us all getting over this COVID pandemic, which we've all kind of grown sick of by now, but it's still important to, I mean, you know, keep safe but now at least we and stay healthy. But now we have the vaccine and I think we'll see us inching closer to like a more normalized civilization as we knew it before COVID. And one of the steps is when it's due, when it's time for it, and when it's safe uh, to let spectators back in the stadium. And that will be obviously amazing. It'll be it'll be great. It'll be also good for the team, I guess, kinda. Uh, but it mostly will be good for 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 everyone who gets to go to the stadium, who's been missing it so much ever since the last game, which was like uh in in march last year yeah i kind of have mixed feelings on this whole topic because on the one hand of course fans do belong in the stadium on the other hand i'm already annoyed preemptively at football overrating its own importance and starting discussions uh, that oh we, we need fans in the stadium when people won't be vaccinated for months i'm already mentally preparing myself for, for the discussions that we're gonna be, ha- be having in the summer when people will will be saying the group that needs the vaccine the most have already gotten it so now it is safe and it won't be safe and uh, i am looking forward to seeing fans in the stadium again but yeah 
kind of has also a few other things are also come along with this whole discussion. Yeah, it's it's a complex thing, but I think the overarching sentiment of, you know, getting back to, you know, normality and, you know, when it's safe to do so and just, you know, apart from all the other things, it it, it will be nice to see, you know, stadiums full again. And, you know, I think it'll kind of feel like when you see 70,000 people back in the Allianz Arena, that will feel, you know, like, all right. Maybe things are actually, you know, we're, we're past this now. And I think that's a hugely important thing just, you know, worldwide for all sports, you know, and, and just all events and that sort of thing in general. When we get to the point where we can have, you know, full stadiums and that sort of thing again, I think that for me, in a way, might be the most um, telling point that we're, we're completely past this now and you know we can we can finally be moving on with our our normal lives but yeah anything else to add to that no all right so uh daniel you want to do yours next so my thing to look forward to is <laughs> it's a pretty funny thing because long time ago or not too long ago depending on who you ask Bayern had a certain certain sort of spanish curse in the champions league it all started when in the three years of Pep Guardiola, when he was a limit, when Bayern was eliminated, with him as a coach, by each of the Spanish of the three Spanish top sides, once against Real Madrid, one time against Barcelona, and one time against Atletico Madrid, and with the exception of one time going through against Sevilla, which is a very good team but isn't quite as strong as the other three Spanish giants, Bayern had since always lost to Real Madrid. They lost. Once under Colin Schonti and once under uh, Jopankus against Real Madrid. Both times were kind of unlucky. You could argue that, uh, especially with the Anschlotti thing, it was overall deserved, but, they were, uh, but it was very much unlucky. And now with Hansi Flick, it kind of flipped because Hansi Flick, he came in, we decisively almost dismantled Barcelona, A2, so we kind of broke the curse already back then. Bayern won against Sevilla, which again... Is a Spanish side, but not just not as strong. And then in the group phase, we of course had this fabulous game against Atletico Madrid. So you could say that the Spanish curse is broken, but there is still one team on the chopping block. And it's like in the meme where Hansi Flick is the Grim Reaper and he's already killed Barcelona, he's already slain Atletico Madrid, but Real Madrid is still out there. And I just think that although Bayern is struggling right now and has many problems, and I mean, we just had our second defeat of the season against Gladbach that we haven't really touched on this whole podcast. Well, yes, Bayern is struggling. I'm still confident that when things do get important, in the Champions League especially, there will see another side of Bayern. And Real Madrid is kind of at a turning point right now. And they're, I wouldn't say they're in turmoil, but it's clear to most people that they will be stronger once again come next season when maybe Mbappé will come and so on. But now they are beatable. And I have the utmost confidence that if Bayern gets to play Real, they can once again rise to the challenge and become this Madrid-hounding bestia that, like, installs fear. Yeah, I think it'll be great to... If we can, if we get drawn against them and we make it to that point to 
I agree. I, I have every confidence in our ability to handle Real Madrid this season. I mean, despite some of the struggles we've had recently, I, I do think there's another level that Bayern can kick it into. And slaying that last, you know, monster, so to speak, I think would go, it, it would feel pretty damn good as a Bayern fan. <laughs> I have to agree. I cannot wait for Bayern to kick Real Madrid's ass, honestly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> after all those. I mean, heartfelt losses in the last few years against Real where they, I mean, they weren't even the better team. They just kept on winning, winning, winning. I'm so ready for the tables to turn and for Bayern to to make it through. Um, and I agree with you, Daniel, that would be 2021 would be the perfect year for this. Real Madrid, here we go. <laughs> All right. So my the thing I'm most looking forward to is a exciting domestic finish for once and not an artificial one where we have, you know, Nico Kalvach as our coach. And so we're basically handicapped. <laughs> um, <laughs> one, <laughs> one where, you wow. know, wow. <laughs> hey, I had to throw it in there. I mean, theoretically, we did win, you know, that that, the that poor guy. championship on the last day. So. <laughs> But, the poor guy. He's he's doing really good at Monaco. Okay, is he, is he though? <laughs> it's France. Um, <laughs> just shots everywhere fired by me. But um, yeah. So no, I, I think we have some better teams in the in the league this year. I mean, unfortunately, you know, it looks like Dortmund is yet again kind of their own worst enemy. But I I think there are several teams. You know like Leipzig, chiefly among them, that actually, I, I don't think they're better than Bayern, but I think in this season, given Bayern's schedule and given, you know, just how tired the team is and the load that's on them, I think they can legitimately push Bayern for most of the season, presuming that they don't slip up themselves or get some kind of unknown injury. And it's been, you know, quite a while since anyone's actually really pushed Bayern to the last few games of the season. I mean, like I said, I know two years ago that's not the case, but I, I again, just to dismiss that as Nico Kovac ruining everything. But um, I, I think both the Cup and the League are somewhat up for grabs. I think Bayern are clearly the favorite, but, you know, it, it is – it literally could be a very exciting finish to the season. And I'm, I think it's good for the Bundesliga. I think it's, it could be good for Bayern as well, just to have teams pushing them and, you know, not letting them get complacent in any way. And I think it should be good. Maurice, Daniel. No, count me in for an exciting Bundesliga finish. I mean, I really, I have to say, I really enjoyed the season with Nico Kovac, the so-called handicap <laughs> you said, where it was really exciting for us to win the Bundesliga. Like, honestly, that was the first time in years that the last match day, I was like, oh my God, yes. And before it was kind of like, okay, what else? Like we're playing with 50, with five guys from our like uh, under 19 team against like Augsburg <laughs> on the last match day. So no, I, I'm all in for an exciting finish. <laughs> <laughs> that exciting finish would be great. Although I just, I still can't help but think that come match day, like 25, 28, 30, the Bayern will again lead comfortably with 10 points or so. Maybe only five points, but it's still going to be enough for it to be a, too comfortable finish for their own good. 
Because I just see all the, all those teams stumbling along the way. Bayern is already leading. Just yesterday, Leipzig lost again. And I'm not so confident that things will be just as confident, uh, as exciting come at the end of the season because the season is still fairly young. We haven't even played. We're not even at half time, and Bayern is already leading. That's. I can't help but think that for for an exciting finish to be had, that there really had to be one team and, and really one team that can actually win this, like Leipzig and Dortmund, to really come out strong at the start. And nobody really, really, really did this, so I kind of have my doubts. That's fair. It's it's a hope. It's wishful thinking, I guess, in some ways. Although you know, I'm also perfectly happy to just see Bayern win, you know, a, a ninth straight Bundesliga. So. <laughs> I uh, guess we'll we'll close that then and move on to our final um, category, which is a bold prediction for the season. Um, Maurice, do you want to kick this one off as well? Sure, I'll do. Um, yeah, my bold prediction is pretty easy, and that is that Robert Lewandowski will match the historic number of 40 goals in a single Bundesliga campaign that uh, Gerd Müller set back in the 70s. Uh, it has been a number that was, I mean, not ever really closely matched before, but, I mean, this season would be the perfect season for Lewandowski to do it. He has played... 14 games so far after match day 15 and he's up already to 21 goals so um he's more than halfway there in not even half of the games this is the chance to do it and in my romantic uh or romanticized perfect world the way it happens is he scores the goal for the 40th goal and then gets a penalty kick awarded to him and he passes up the opportunity and he says thomas muller you take that one and he stays on top equal with Gerd muller forever um that would just be the picture perfect ending to this um yeah so my bold prediction 40 goals for Lewandowski in the bundesliga season i like that all the while uh, the allianz arena is playing cheesy hollywood music <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The Titanic theme song is played in the ISO <laughs> while he walks over to Thomas Muller and gives him the ball. <laughs> uh, I like it. Yeah, it does seem like the season that it could possibly happen. He's he's well on his way. So, you know, that'll be that'll be add that to my, you know, list of exciting things to watch for the domestic season. <laughs> Daniel, you want to. <sighs> I hate to be that guy again, but again, I have my doubts. And it's less because of Robert Lewandowski's ability or the goals that he had already scored, because he did already score 20 goals in it's uh, match day 15. But it's more down to the season that I just think that there will be like times where Lewandowski will be substituted off or will just not play because of another game because we so many games. Or it will be just like last year, because last year he had a legit shot to edge out, get Müller's record. But in the end, due to injury, he missed three games. And if you really look at look at that, these were the three games that he was arguably missing in the end. Because in the end, he scored 34 goals, so he was missing six. And well, six goals isn't exactly that small a gap. But six goals in three matches, especially at the latter stage of the season, that was doable, especially for Robert Lewandowski, if he had this goal inside. And I just can't help but think that in the end, he'll still miss a game here, miss a game there. And that's already enough to stop you from getting those 40 goals. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that point. I think 
a close Bundesliga season would actually help him to have a better chance at that just because it's more likely he'll play, you know, more time and more games, just assuming that they actually need to win. But yeah, you, know, you, you certainly make a good point. Yeah. All right, Daniel, you're, uh, you want to give us your bold prediction? Sure. I'm back on my Champions League. And now that's it's kind of a bit strange to say coming after the Gladbach game where it really kind of was the first time in the season where Bayern was really stood really with, there with the back against the wall and missed. But I still think that, especially in the Champions League, if you hear this, the music, they will be up to stuff. They will be up to snuff and they will really hit the ground running. So my bold prediction is that with the exception of Liverpool FC, I think nobody can stop us. I think the only team that I really see having a very good shot at beating Bayern is Liverpool. But all the other teams, like I've seen my fair share of international football this year, even more than Bundesliga, I I would have to say. And I think that we really are in the middle of a very strange season, considering nobody's really playing that well. But I think when Bayern hears that music in the Champions League, then only Liverpool will in the end be able to edge them out. And that's my bold prediction. I, I can see that in a lot of respects. I think the Champions League is interesting because, as you said, I don't think anyone's really separated themselves. I think some of the reasons that Bayern has struggled has also been down to, you know, just the sheer volume of games that they have to play. And the thing is, is that in the Champions League, everybody's playing those that volume of games for the most part. So they're all tired. They're all worn down. It's it's probably going to be a fairly sloppy Champions League, you know, later rounds of the, of the Champions League compared to normal. That's just kind of what I'm guessing, at least. But yeah, I think that's a reasonable prediction in a lot of respects, Maurice. No, totally. Um I I also I completely agree. I don't have anything to add of value. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess if there's nothing else to add to that, then I will go to my bold prediction, which probably looks even more absurd given that last game. But my bold prediction is that Bayern will win the double, but they will not win the DFB Pokal. Ooh. Um, I, I, I do think that they are going to struggle to win all three titles. And for whatever reason, I think that there's a decent chance that one of the Bundesliga sides might just kind of edge them in the Pokal. That, you know, they it, they may over, slightly overlook them or maybe they just get bombarded in terms of schedule between two important games or, you know, something happens and they get a bad matchup or a series of bad matchups and one of them they just trip up in. And for whatever reason this season, I I do think, so I do think that they will ultimately, you know, just grind it out in the league. And I do think that they have a good chance in the champions league, but I I do worry about the Pokal just in general. I think that there it's, it's a competition that might kind of just get overlooked a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I can see that it's possible. It would actually be kind of funny because then (laughs) This whole trouble thing uh, talk would, would finally end that I always find annoying because people are kind of equating the Champions League to the, the DFB Cup. I can already see the, the reporters asking questions how disappointing the season is. Now, now that now this, they've won the Champions League but lost the final against <laughs> against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, I guess, uh, <laughs> would be funny. 
I don't know. I always, I always really like the DFB Pokal. I think it has brought a lot of really memorable games in the last few seasons. Um, I there was like this crazy match against like Heidenheim, which ended like five to four. Like last season, there was this madness of a game against Hoffenheim. Um, all those games against Borussia Dortmund that always ended in kind of like a weird fashion. And even if it was just Robert Lewandowski getting injured, and that's the reason why we didn't win the semifinal of the Champions League. Uh, thank you, Mitch Langerek. But um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, I really like the DFB Pokal. I'm sorry. I mean, it's obviously not as valuable as the other two cups, but I, I still really like it. So I think that is a good prediction, Mark. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And also, I agree, it would be interesting to see how the players would rate the season if they do not win the triple but if they only like <laughs> miss out on the dfb call <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, and that again it's not to say that i think they're not the favorite in those two especially i think they are but it's just i i, I do kind of think they might trip up on something and that seems like it might be the one that ends up being that stumbling block but i'll take the deal all right <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> yeah, take right. I take it yeah i <laughs> So let's, uh, we've been doing our little treble thing, which in, in retrospect is, is which Mark wants little... to, wants to, re- Mark wants to reduce it to a double thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You can blame me for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also seems a bit redundant since this entire, uh, podcast has more or less been a giant version of the treble that we've been doing in our episodes, but, uh, we're going to do it anyways. And so as a final little fun category, we have picked our funniest moment of 2020. Um, I'm going to do just I think there is kind of a somewhat obvious answer here with just Thomas Muller in general and what, you know, his general interviews and everything that he does. But um, we're going to, you know, I, I think someone might touch upon that a little bit, yeah, but yeah, um, I will. D- Daniel, here we are. why don't you go ahead and kick us off then? Yeah, I can start with Thomas Muller because my, because the funniest things, uh, the funniest thing about Bayern I think were all the Bayern memes surrounding the Champions League tournament, and, and I think the meme culture in football is kind of cringe, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> overall, it's all kind of like it's not as cool as other fandoms you could have. But the Bayern memes were, they were kind of funny, especially I would choose myself was first this by now legendary infamous uh, press conference that the one press conference that uh, Thomas Müller held in the English language where he said the greatest pun of all puns, the pun to end all puns, <laughs> the joke that, well, yeah, Messi and Ronaldo, they're, they're, they're kind of cool players, they're kind of good, kind of good, but they're no match for the infamous Lewandowski. <laughs> a, and, and to be honest, the first, like, five to ten times that I heard the sentence, like, echoed on Twitter and social media, I was kind of a bit annoyed because I think people kind of, like, don't really understand that joking in a foreign language might not be as come to you as natural as it is in your own language. But the deaths that this whole meme took and seeing just this perfect sub HD, sub SD zoomed in picture (laughs) photo of Thomas Miller was like 144p max of him saying Lewandowski and thinking he made the funniest joke. Ever, I just echoed that around social media the whole time, like everywhere. That was that was pretty funny, and then the whole the Bayern fandom, 
before we won the Champions League, everybody was saying that yeah, Bayern is kind of the favorite to win it. And it came until the point where people were already saying, okay, let's not jinx it. Well, we've already been there. We've done that. But let's not jinx it. And so I don't know who started. I don't know how it started. I don't know. I don't really understand it. I was like Googling it. Maybe it's some other meme that I don't know. But all these chicken wings that surrounding the Champions League tournament, whenever somebody was saying something, like half the comment section was always jinx protector and then like three or five chicken wings emojis and eh, it was kind of funny not gonna lie i just wanted to touch on the thomas muller thing just for one second the thing that that was the most amazing about the thomas muller thing was not that he said the you know robert levangolski thing and you know thinking that he made the best joke in the world (laughs) it's that he somehow thought that people didn't understand what he was saying and repeated it. <laughs> it's always a great sign when people don't understand a joke. <laughs> Maybe they Anyways. were just thrown off that Germans actually do make jokes too. From, 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 I don't know. <laughs> oh, in any case, um, Maurice. Yeah, uh, my my funniest moment uh, goes back to that Champions League final night in Lisbon, and and it, it is Thiago after being subbed off, like standing on the, like in the stands, like behind this like little wall of glass, and just like I don't know, he was so out of it. He just wanted to, I don't know. It, it was I just thought it really it's really really funny um, the way he was like he just wanted to run back on the pitch. He was like so involved he was like leaning over this little like glass window and almost falling over he was so incredibly engaged i just thought it was it was really funny in the moment it again shows the amazing i don't know person that he is and what he felt for the team uh but i also thought in that moment like he had like gigantic eyes uh he was he was like <laughs> so involved i thought it it is really funny it reminded me of like a i don't know like a, a youth player in like the I don't know, like U7 League or something who got like subbed off and he just wanted to continue to play um, and wasn't allowed to by like his 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 dad or whoever. Uh, and so I just thought that was that was hilarious. Yeah, it was, it was really funny watching just his reactions and his it, it was almost like he was uh, Hansi Flick's like, you know, shadow or something like that, just going nuts over on the sidelines. <laughs> I actually didn't find it as funny as I thought it was sad that he wasn't playing because I distinctly remember <laughs> that when his number came when his number came on and Thiago was to be subbed off in the last five minutes I was thinking like I was cursing Hansi Flick and not understanding what he was doing and I still think that it was a stupendous decision and, <laughs> no, and seeing him to being so agitated <laughs> on the bench just further proves my point that he still had. <laughs> He still had it in him to play the, these last five minutes. Maybe maybe humor was my way to cope with those issues. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so my, uh, my funny moment was just the general after party. Kimmick and his drum. I don't know where this drum came from, why it became Kimmick's, you know go-to thing but that drum will go down in byron infamy <laughs> that thing presumably it has to is go now, to the museum it yeah it has i was to gonna go say to it, presumably it has to be in the museum now because the, who doesn't know about kimmick and his drum i swear he, they they might he display it with that the drum. trophy 
They might display it instead of the trophy. I think that's what that's what is going to happen. <laughs> they absolutely should. <laughs> Whatever part of Kimmich's, you know, Kimmich gets in the Bayern Museum has to have that drum. Just <laughs> it was just it was the most random and persistent thing that I can remember from the celebrations <laughs> during, you know, that night and I, I, I maybe even into the next day. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. You were asking who doesn't remember the drama. I think Kimmich might not remember it because I think he was, de- <laughs> I think he was dead drunk that day, uh, that night. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> he probably woke up the next day with that drum in his bed and you're like, "How the hell did this get here?" Yeah, that's exactly. What they <laughs> oh, that. If if we have time for like a little detour, that brings me back to like 2013 in like what I still regard as one of the funniest moments I've ever seen performed by a, by a soccer player. And it was it was after the Champions League title. They got back and they went up on the on the uh, city hall at uh, at the Marienplatz in, in Munich. Uh, and Manuel Neuer was dead drunk. And I mean, that was like, I don't know, that was like... 15 hours after the match and he was just he was just out of it he was so drunk and he goes up and he gets handed one of those gigantic glasses of of of, uh, of wheat beer of like the vice beer and he just goes and he grabs all of the foam and starts like rubbing it all over his face and i was just like oh my god (laughs) that was i mean i've never seen a soccer player be that drunk it was that was like mario bossa levels like that That (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) all right well that seems like a pretty good place to end things um any other any final thoughts that we want to pass on for today no i'll i'll just i'll i'll be done for the day i'll I'll get my wheat beer and I put the foam in my face. I, I heard it's really good to keep your skin moist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel. No, uh, I'll do everything but that uh, foam part. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think I'll just go ahead and try and drink the wheat beer and leave the foam in its rightful place. Um, in any case... It was great to uh, get back at this. Well, I'm sure we'll be back to you fairly soon. Um, thanks for joining us, and have a good, uh, good rest of the week.